0: This show is distributed by Songwells. Next time!
1: Welcome to episode 161 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, Jason Roberts. On today's show, it's 10 p.m. for me. I'm calling from Dublin, Ireland, and uh, Jason is in uh, Los Angeles as usual. And actually, today's show we're doing via 3G broadband, so we'll see how it goes.
0: How did you do it last week with uh, Peter and Alex? So I was actually at my sister's
1: house, and she has just fully blown wired broadband. But at this stage, I'm going through this little device, which is kind of like a mobile phone that doesn't have any phone. It's just like a little Wi-Fi hotspot. Uh So you put in a SIM card into it, and then it basically, up to five five devices can connect to it it wirelessly.
0: Have you been using that most of the time you've been over there, or is this just something you've just started using recently?
1: I have been using it most of the time. Um, And it's weird for us talking via this, because obviously there's a bit of a delay, a bit of a lag. So (laughs) this show might sound a bit odd. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you just have to clean it up and and post I guess. You sound like you're slow, like you're really thinking hard about how to answer my questions.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, vice versa. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: So the show went well? I thought I thought you guys did a good job. Oh, thank you very much. Did you listen to it? Yeah, it sounds like in the comments I'm out of a job, basically. <laughs> yeah, the comments are saying, "Hey, you guys should uh, do a spin-off." Yeah,
1: I think I guess I can retire now. It's in good hands. So you could you couldn't come last week um because you had an illness in your family,
0: I probably probably don't want to get too into it on the show because it's not sure. the greatest yeah. topic in the world, and uh, yeah. I'm not sure how much I want to talk about it. But uh, my mom got sick, ended up passing away last weekend, yeah, and um, we uh, flew out to the East Coast, uh, you know, the whole family at the last minute, and um, that's where I was last week. So, um, yeah, I mean, I felt like I should at least address it since you did the same when your dad passed away. So I felt like right. we've kind of established a certain amount of, uh, really radical transparency. Is that how we call it?
1: Yes, transparency. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, obviously I was gone and, uh, unable to do the show and, uh, had other things, uh, obviously yeah. occupying my mind, but, um, sounds like, uh, you know, from the show, I, I listened to it. It sounds like you guys uh, had a good time and, uh, it, it pulled it off.
1: Uh, yeah, well, you know what, Pete? It's funny because Peter C, Peter Cooper, he's like he—he he is a color man as well. Because you're you're a color man in our in our show, and Peter Cooper's a color man, so that kind of works out quite well. And then Alex with <laughs> Alex just says funny stuff. <laughs> End of story. He just kind of chimes in with his little.
0: Yeah, well, the if the show was actually my idea, right? I mean, yeah. When I when I knew I was gonna be able to do the show, I. I I can't remember if I suggested it at first. I think I just said, yeah, because I'd already thought about it. I said, all right, well, what's going to work? And I thought, you know, you're so used to me talking so much that you having only one person on with you, you might throw you off your pace a little bit, right? (laughs) especially if they're not used to being on a podcast and having to fill air. And I thought if there were two people, um, then you could just you know, be in your comfort zone. And I thought we've had Alex on, we've had Peter on, they're both funny, smart guys, um, that you have a, uh, you know, a nice rapport with. And I, I just had a feeling that that would work. And also the fact that they're both in, um, in England and, you know, t- same time zone, probably good connection. I thought, all right, this'll just probably come off just as a, uh, as natural and it will just probably work and listening to it. It sounded like it did. No, yeah, it was very cool. It was very cool, and you—you you- a couple of ideas that you threw at me. At first, I was like, "Dude, that's gonna suck." <laughs> I was like, "You're." you're I was just—you're just telling me about your idea. Well, maybe I'll talk to this person. I'm like, I feel like I want to like stab myself in the eye already. Just listening to it, I was like, "Don't do that. Don't, 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 uh, don't." Uh, I mean, you don't want to uh, kill our audience. They're just gonna be like, "Come
1: on." Well, I I told them that you had you had suggested that they came on, and they were both very complimented about that. So that was good. So onto the show. Yesterday, I was uh, with a friend of mine, and they have a ten year old kid, and we ended up playing with the iPad, um, playing this game called the World of Goo, And this kid, as as stuff was coming up, this ten year old kid was like hitting buttons like continue and start and go and all the all the different buttons of the game. Before I'd even seen them, like his brain was just so much faster, and I was just, I was just amazed at like how the difference between me being a forty-year-old, him being a ten-year-old, and it's like time works for him in a, in just a totally different way.
0: Yeah, well, his his mind is, I'm sure, more agile, and uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he probably learns more quickly. It's something as I don't know what the world of goo is. I think you mentioned to me a little bit. Sounds some, some some bizarre physics world of, you know, where you kind of create a world that has a weird physics to it or something.
1: Mm -hmm. But but I I was thinking, like, you know, traditionally you'd say, okay, it's just because they're younger. But what about also, is it something like, you know how your computer gradually slows down the older it gets, the more it gets filled up with stuff? Right. Like, I wonder, does our brain work the same way? Because we just have so much knowledge and so much information, so there's so many more paths that that can be used because of our knowledge. You know what I mean? We've got so many more neural nets, but I wonder if that's kind of slowing us down.
0: No, I actually, I don't, I think that's incorrect. I've, I've, i read something about that not too long ago and it dismissed the, or debunked this idea that, you know, the more you learn, the more you forget. And like there's some sort of fixed amount that we can really, um, remember or know about and that slows things down i i mean i don't it wasn't really talking about sl- slowing our brains down but i mean there was a, some professor some scientist who said you know that he didn't like remembering or trying to remember his students names because that was every time every student's name that he remembered was one more theorem he would forget or something like that right <laughs> Math theorem. i think he was a mathematician and uh that was sort of used to as a as the sort of motivating reason for the article. It's like, no, that's not actually how brain works. But I don't think that's necessarily the mechanism. I don't think it's the amount of stuff you know because I don't think, you know, older people who aren't very well-educated and have lived very simple lives and hasn't been about an, informa- an information-dense life, their brains still slow down. And I think... Dealing with lots of information and having to think about things to solve problems is kind of like working out with your body. So like the more active your brain is, the sharper you are at an older age. And when you stop learning new things and exercising your brain and solving problems, the, uh, you know, when you don't do that, your brain kind of atrophies and slows down.
1: Well, I wouldn't say my brain's atrophied and slowed down, but just say that his brain is working in bullet time. You know, like in the matrix, they have bullet time where you kind of see slow motion bullets. (laughs) Like that's just what it felt like to me.
0: I think your brain has atrophied just in the last few weeks since we've talked last. I, you know, Thanks, Jason. Not that's to, real nice. Not to, not to make you feel bad or anything, but uh, <laughs> just what you've been over there in Ireland, I think uh, little atrophies happened. So the one thing we talked about offline a little bit and it was how, how productive or n- not productive you've been while being abroad. And in our initial discussion, you thought, it, you would be just as productive because, you know, as long as you have your laptop, you can kind of work anywhere and you kind of like being in the middle of stuff anyway and it's more fun to work that way and you thought it wouldn't be a problem. And I was skeptical because I, I always feel like, you know, when you're outside of your sort of natural, I don't know, workplace and you don't have the chair and the monitor and the space that you're used to, you tended not, at least for myself, I can't speak for anyone else, but I always... Feel like I'm working like a third or a fourth productivity. I mean, what's so? What's been your experience so far?
1: Well, you were right. Um, you could say "told you so" for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is that being on vacation, it's just difficult when you're on vacation. I haven't been back to you know to Europe for like three years, so it's it's a fair you know it's a fair amount of time. So obviously, hanging out with friends, and it it just never feels like the right moment to say look i've got to go away and do four you know between four and six hours work right now so i just kind of keep putting it off and have to snatch the moments to do it but then also another thing that i was kind of surprised about is what a big difference the chair makes and the desk and just you know your comfort zone environment like it is pretty hard to work in a cafe right where there's lots of loud noise but it's also hard to work but you know i don't know for whatever reason but a lot of my friends Houses, they just don't have comfortable chairs. <laughs> they have comfortable chairs and nice tables that are the right height for a laptop. So that makes it generally difficult as well.
0: Yeah, well, the kind of chairs that you sit at at like a dining room table are not the kind of chairs you could sit at for more than like an hour or so. You know, the hard backs and they sit straight up, terrible for trying to sit and work at for like three or five hours at a time. You know, and exactly. you're right, dining room tables are at different heights and and. I I don't know I, I I'm the same way you know like when I, we go to my in laws um, I um I I sit at their dining room table which I think I mentioned this and I bring my entire i my 27 inch iMac <laughs> yeah and I bring in a nice office chair they have from upstairs in their sort of office area I bring that down I set everything up so it's as close to my homework environment as possible and I'm actually fairly productive because when we go we usually go for like four or five days and it's like I can't just not get work done for that length of time, you know? So here's a question I have about it too, is that, you know, in the mornings, I mean, can't you just get up first thing in the morning until it just work then and, and then, and then spend the afternoons and the evenings with friends and family? I mean, why hasn't that been able to work? Well, one of the reasons is because it's so cold over here, um, that
1: I've actually been sleeping in till 12 every day. <laughs> so when you're sleeping in till 12, it's like already half the day is kind of gone.
0: Why does I don't saying, Why does a cold make you sleep in? Because you just can't get yourself out of bed because you're so yeah, cold. Pr- pretty much,
1: just just cold, and also because we're on vacation and we're just thinking, oh, I just don't want to get up.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, right. And are you just staying out late partying with friends
1: and stuff? So you go to bed at two or three in the morning, and that's not even that. It just feels like the time to wind down and relax and be on vacation. And I think it's as simple as that.
0: Right. So you're okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's um. That's the thing about um. Sleeping like so, like I've been working with um, w- one of the guys at Uber. We've been sort of trying to do some pair programming stuff, and you know, he's young guy. like twenty three, I think, and and like a, a lot of these guys, and this is where I was when I was his age, or you know, and probably most of my twenties, is I would go to bed at two thirty, was sort of my average, you know, time I think, and that I would go to bed and you know wake up at like. 10.30 or something like that. And it's by 11.30 by the time you get into the office. And so, you know, you you really aren't getting much work done until later in the day. And it, it seems like you work a lot because you're at the office till 10 o'clock at night or something like that. But the reality is you had to break for lunch and dinner <laughs> during that period of time. And sometimes go work out. And so even if you stay, the work till, stay at work till midnight, you really didn't get that much work done or even as much had you been working, you know, nine to five or something like that. It's just because everything is so offset that the natural breaks that the rest of the world is taking, the lunch and dinner and, you know, whatever social or events or activities are going on, those are interrupting you on occasion. And so you just don't get as much work done. Although it seems like you're working a lot because you're at the office most of the time that you're awake.
1: All right. Well, um, just changing the topic slightly.
0: (laughs) Are you not not hearing what I'm saying? It sounds like you're... uh... Am I- <laughs> no, I
1: I totally heard you and totally understood it, but it just feels like we've done the topic.
0: <laughs> Move on. Well, the other thing I want to ask you about your 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 um your uh, trip is is one thing I was concerned about is, that y- is the drinking because you're not because of the, you know your the diabetes and stuff you weren't really supposed to drink alcohol and I was like I was thinking you know that's going to be hard if you're in Ireland for uh, six weeks or whatever. I mean, how's that played out for you?
1: That hasn't been a problem. What's been much more of a problem is starch because starch is king over here, and um it's it's just actually quite difficult to uh to find anything that isn't starch and that's that's definitely not very good for diabetes
0: but what's the other one you you, you can eat um wheat or it's um celiac disease you're, you're in, and that must be hard energy oh,
1: right yeah exactly it's quite difficult from from both of those perspectives yeah so there's not there's not a lot of basically plant-based eating over here like it's it's quite you know it's quite a lot of meat going on
0: and not a lot of vegans running around ireland
1: <laughs> no
0: so moving on you want to change the top you, 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 it sounds like you, you don't want to be in the hot seat
1: anymore i don't mind but it's just i just think it's kind of boring
0: <laughs> it is i don't know
1: i like grilling Yeah, <laughs> makes me happy yeah you you like grilling me but do people really want to sit there and listen to that I don't, I don't think so.
0: I think I'd say yes. The answer's probably yes. All right, fair enough. <laughs> so um one thing I guess I don't think we've talked about this in the show, uh about my um Uber, Uber arrangement. Do we we even talked about that, right? A couple weeks ago I went up, you know, uh to San Francisco to work with work with those guys and uh ended up accepting a, I, I guess you'd call it like a full time consulting arrangement. So Travis is the CEO, um he's been trying to get me to be full-time at Uber for, you know, since the very beginning for well over a year now. And, uh, finally he's just like, you know, dude, what do we have to do to get, get more hours out of you or you know, more of your time? And, you know, I I told him I couldn't accept a full-time position because I have my own, you know, startup side projects that I'm interested in pursuing. And I don't think working as a full-time employee, you can really do that. It's just, it's too much of a conflict of interest to uh, be full-time employee and actually have another company you're starting. So, um, but what I did say is I could give him 35 hours a week and uh, guaranteed. And so essentially I, I guess I have one consulting contract and he's like, All right, well, I'll, I'll guarantee you a year, you know, at least a year at that. And so I guess it, it's kind of nice because it's sort of like the benefit is that the best of both worlds in the sense that I'm sort of, it's like the guarantee of like a, of a single income source, like a job. Your, your advice has been to me for
1: years that you should always have, you know, don't have all your eggs in one basket. You should always have lots of baskets and
0: lots of eggs. Yeah. And the reason, the reason for that advice is that because a, a contract can come to an end abruptly a lot of times and things are going along fine. And, you know, and then all of a sudden they're like, your client will be like, well, you know, we've decided to put this on hold for a month until we, Decide something else we want to do, or you know, whatever, right? I mean, that's that's its a consulting contract. That's how it works. And um, sometimes it seems like a contract's going to last a while, and it you and you're two or three months in, and it just drops off. And if you have two or three or, or more contracts or, or clients, then it's, you sort of hedge that risk. You diversify your your income portfolio. Now, in this case, if he he guarantees me a year, then I don't have to worry about that, right? Right. That makes sense. So that, yeah. But yeah. the benefit, of course, is that I'm much more efficient because I don't have to spend a lot of time context switching, jumping between projects, stress of like, you know, you know, cause the thing is once you start working on one project and then another and you get certain emails from other clients say, Hey, we really need to get on something, we're only gonna be available, but you're kinda of having this other project you gotta get done, and that's kind of stressful and it's just sort of irritating to have to switch context abruptly. And it's also inefficient because you usually spend so much time spinning yourself back up what you should be working on and what was going on and why you were doing things that we were doing, and it's just, just a lot of waste of time. Right. And uh, and the other thing of course is I don't know how this is with you, but like, so Sandy will um periodically come to me. She's like, "Okay, well, I just want to get a sense of like, when are you sending out an invoice? Because you know we have quarterly taxes coming up, or this or that, you know." And I'll be thinking, you know, it's not I'm not always the kind of thing where you can just send an invoice at the end of the month, right? Because at least for me, I always felt like. Have to be kind of at a stopping point. I mean, it's hard to send out a big a big invoice for like five thousand or eight thousand dollars when you we ha- don't have anything to show for it because you're kind of mid stroke. Yeah. You know, you're mm-hmm. not really you don't have a deliverable. You can say here I reached this milestone. This is all done. By the way, you know here's an invoice for eight thousand dollars or something. <laughs> and you know and if you're jumping between projects, a lot of times what will happen is you're you're kind of mid stroke on three projects and you got nothing you can really point to and feel really comfortable about when you send them a big invoice. So you're like, shit, I don't really have, I'm going to have a hard time sending an invoice for the next couple of weeks. And meanwhile, you know, like Sandy, well, you know, we got to pay our quarterly taxes. So you know, we need to, we need to, to write a check to the IRS for, you know, whatever it is, 10, 15, $20,000. And you're like, holy crap, you know? So you've got 35 hours a week mm-hmm. and you've got a year long contract. What does that
1: basically mean for you on on a weekly basis. I mean, what, how does that change your life?
0: Oh, I don't know if it changes that much. I mean, that's, that, that's about what I was trying to bill oh, between four different clients. So yeah. what it has ultimately allowed me to do is get a lot more work done for Uber. Um, and it'll allow me to just focus more. I won't spend so much time jumping from project to project and having to, um, manage relationships with a lot of different the clients. clients. Will you still be able to work on side projects? Sure. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that was the whole reason why I wouldn't accept any type of, a, of an employment contract. Right. Because right. I, you know, and I, I made that very clear from the start. It's like, you know, I, I have, you know, Anyfoo and App Ignite things that I'm working on. And, you know, these are, you know, real efforts to not just sort of like a little open source thing that I'm working on side. Um, you know, and as long as I get my, as long as I get seven hours a day and for, for them, they're happy. I mean, they'll, be, they'll be ecstatic. Um, and, uh, you know, but that's how much, that's how many hours a week I was working on, you know, I was billing anyway. So yeah, it just makes it a little more, uh, it just makes it more efficient. It makes it less stressful.
1: So you sent me an email about, um about the launch conference and wonder, wondering if we should enter any foo into the launch conference.
0: What do you think? I, I don't know. I mean, there there are pros and cons. I mean, if you're trying to raise money from angels, investors or VCs or whatever, then something like the launch conference is, is really a big deal because it, it gives you that sort of um, validation and, and visibility. I mean, if you're up on stage presenting in front of 10,000 people or whatever it is they have there, maybe it's not 10,000, maybe it's a few thousand, but um, a lot of them tech journalists and, and VCs and investors, then you know, if you have a a reasonably good idea or business plan, you're going to get um, you're going to get a look. Now, if you're not going after investment, um, then it may not make that much difference. I mean, it's going to take, it. Take, it's a, it is a distraction, right? Because you have to spend time, you had to create like a demo video to send in, and then you're going to have to go up like three or four days before the conference and go through a series of um, sort of test presentations where you get critiqued and coached by uh, Jason Calacanis. And uh, his uh, staff. Um, so it's not like you just send in an application, yes, and then you show up the day of and, and give a talk, right? You just assume that you're probably going to have to spend, I don't know, thirty to forty hours of work preparing, just preparing for the conference in terms of like a, a, a good demo video, and then and then and then you can almost guarantee like close to a week of work where you're going to be up in San Francisco staying at a hotel going back and forth to giving your, to, to your coaching rounds. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, so it's a big commitment and you have to decide whether you want to do that or not. If you don't want to do that, cause I've been through this before with local bacon. Yeah. I went through the whole process and I didn't have to do all of it. Um, I was just building the first version of the system. I, you know, I could stay here and, and, you know, in Pasadena and work on it, but I was very much in the loop with all the preparation and work and time that had to go into doing it.
1: Well, what I do like about it—the one really good thing about it—is it gives us a deadline that we can't shirk. Mm -hmm. That's the thing I like about it.
0: Yeah, it's a high price to pay for a deadline, though. You know, (laughs) very, very high price (laughs) to pay for for like some kind of a deadline.
1: Well, but there's some benefits from it, right? I mean, we we get we get a lot of exposure if we go on that, don't we?
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know, you know, because when the thing is though, when you're being demoing with forty or thirty-nine other companies, then there's a lot of noise there, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when the y, all the Y Combinator come, come out, companies come out on demo day, right? It's like, well, you're one of 50. You, it's like you almost want to release when nobody else is releasing so that you can have your day in the sun, your day in the spotlight. That it's not like, hey, here's a list of 40 companies. Just scroll down the list and look and see if you think anything looks good.
1: But we're not exactly looking for a day in the sun anyway. I mean, even if we were just releasing it on our own right, there, there's no kind of day-in-the-sun concept. I mean, we were thinking about a, a basically slow and long burn release. Yeah, so, so I'm asking you,
0: what do you care about
1: that? I'm just wondering. Well, because it, I guess it does give us a day-in-the-sun, which we wouldn't have otherwise had.
0: But then you, you don't know. really have a day-in-the-sun because you're you're sharing that sunlight with 39 other companies, so you don't really get a whole lot of... Of uh, of special attention. That's 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 why. Well, unless you unless you happen to be the darling. I mean, you know, for
1: whatever reason, you may happen to be the darling. You may win it, and if you win it, then you really do get a lot of sunlight. That's true.
0: That's true. But you know, you know, the thing is that there, are, you know, a lot of the companies that demoed aren't all that great. You'd be surprised at at how hard it is to find forty good yeah. companies, forty good startup ideas. Um, I mean, I think they got like a thousand applications. And a lot of them were just pretty bad, I think. And then of the 40 that were accepted, I think, you know, a lot of them weren't all that interesting. And they weren't all that great, but it's just the best they could do. And it was funny, during the coaching rounds, you know, Calacanis and uh, who's his, uh, Tyler, his, um, his sort of uh, assistant. I mean, right. they're, they're trying to help these guys, but they're, they're, they're dem- their presentations were so poor, and it was just like, it was laughable. Um, so, but even then, there's still going to be a dozen or so really good ones. And the thing is, it's so hard to determine at that stage in a company is if it's just going to be something that's going to be a great demo uh, type of startup that's going to look really good and maybe get some funding, but then that's the last year we of them, or it's going to be like the next, you know, mint or uh, what's, you know. Dropbox or Airbnb or something, you know, it's hard to tell. Yeah. So you may be a great company, but you may even be a better idea, but you, you, sometimes you just have to be of the moment and really appeal to the tastes and sensibilities of the, uh, of the judges.
1: So what, so what are you ultimately thinking from your perspective? Is it worth our, us thinking about this or should we just forget about it? And I'm just kind of leaning
0: it? against it because we don't have a lot of extra bandwidth and extra time. Right. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of free time to just to do stuff that isn't core to the product and core to building up any foo. So I'm sort of suspicious of anything that I think is just going to be sort of a sideshow um, to it. It's just sort of a distraction. Um, We're not going to be looking to raise investment. I think it's silly to try and raise investment that early Especially for mm-hmm. us, because we don't really need the money, and all it's going to do is is, uh, is get us into a lot of conversations that we're going to be enticed to. Because hey, these you know these this, this angel this angel group or these high profile people, let's say they did want to talk to you, you're you're probably going to be like tempted to want to start conversations, right? The next thing you know, you're flying up to San Francisco, you're having conversations, you're preparing numbers, you're writing, so you're spending all this time. Doing all this stuff that has nothing to do with actually building the product.
1: All right. Well, how about we just take the deadline part and stick with that. <laughs> we we absolutely have to launch AnyFu by <laughs> launch conference
0: date. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just keep shooting for that. We'll just. I mean, we're getting pretty close now. So, what 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 uh, what's going on with you in terms of anyfoo What have you been doing?
1: Well, I've been I've actually been having discussions with you about the fact that our bank account is now up and running, and. um my, I now have to use the details of the bank account, which I don't have yet, but hopefully... Well, so I'm going to what have you done? Well, I've just sent to the, um, sent to the bank, you know. Uh, basically... <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you talked about launching, but you filled out a couple... You filled out and scanned a form. That, you scanned and emailed a form, is what you're telling me you did? Well, that, Hey,
1: yeah, that's what I've done. Sweet. Well, no, 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 no. Not, not just that. I also did the whole terms and conditions thing which I'm waiting for some response from you about.
0: Right. Yeah, I do need to look at that. Um Yeah. Um that, that oh, was a,
1: that was a, a, a like a, a a few days worth of solid work.
0: <laughs> was it really? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll take a look at that. Yeah, so we so but back to the bank account. So it actually actually was interesting. Um it turned out to be very painless to set up. Right. Yeah. Um I think part of the reason it may, this may or may not have been had an impact, but I already had an existing relationship at Wells Fargo at the you know Pasadena branch because I had the Adaptix account there. Adaptics was the company that I set up to Duprizo, right? So I'm an existing customer. I have a personal account there. I have a biz- I've had a business account there since 2004. So me walking in and saying, "Hey, I want to set up another account," was a non-issue, right? It was not a big deal, and. What I did is I just called in and I, because I wasn't really sure what the process was going to be and how many hoops we're going to have to jump through. And, and I really also want, what I really wanted to know was how we could get it set up as a bank account when you're not going in the States. <laughs> like you're in, you're, in, you're in Ireland, right? So how do we make that happen? And I called the number of the branch. It turns out it went straight to like one of these more senior bankers, not, the, not a teller or a receptionist, but one of the people who would facilitate the um, the setting up of a business account. And so I just set up an appointment to, uh, for the next morning, walked in, and she's like, well, do you have a federal ID number? And I said, you know, I, I haven't done that. I, I I know there's a phone number I can call and do all that. She's like, "Oh, don't worry about it. When you come in here, I'll just do it for you. And so got the federal ID number. I basically just sat in the chair and just chatted with her as she was setting it up and answer a few of her questions, and it was totally painless.
1: And well, I guess it was... Quite painless as well for me to be on on the bank account because I'm also a Wells Fargo customer.
0: Right, so that would have been too big a deal. I mean, to the, so the day before when I talked to her, um, her, her name was Cheryl, and I said, and and I said, okay, so my co-founder, he's not a U.S. citizen, he's currently in Ireland. You know, what do we got to do? And she said, ah, you know, she's like, well. Full name and, uh, you know, driver's license or some passport information, some real basic information. And we have secondary form of like a credit card, that kind of stuff, credit card information. That would have been enough. Or if he's an existing customer, just his full name and, you know, account number whatever. And that was it. Like everything else was unnecessary even.
1: So that's great. So when do we get the details from them so that I can start setting up the whole Stripe account and all that kind of stuff?
0: I think I have everything. So, what we need to do, maybe, what we should do is just set it up together online. Sure. And uh, you know, we just walk through it, just share a screen and, and walk through it, and um, just like we did when we set up the uh, when we when we incorporated, we use biz filings, right? We, we we create we set up the LLC. Yeah. Since That's- I have all the information here, I can we can just you know the federal ID number whatever it is. I mean, just to make sure that ha- that. We have everything. We can just do it together and set up Stripe. And what's the other one? Pay Webmaster checks or something? Webmaster checks, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we can set those two accounts up. They'll probably take us, what, 20 minutes total to set up the two accounts? Right. Yeah. Ooh. So All right. we're going once,
1: go... once So once the API is up and running, then I will, um, I'll basically create some kind of class or some code, but based on a spec that we work out together, which will just... And then you you'll take that and you can just plug it into your app ignite version of any and that should be it.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. And you know, um, I talked to, uh, an, a, a, merchant account, uh, expert there at Wells Fargo. So yeah. when I was creating the setting of the business account, Cheryl asked me, you know, she's like, well, what are you going to do for, you know, cause I'm I, I, you, you, have to explain the business to them, right? So they can classify it the right way. And I said, okay, well, it's and." Marketplace online marketplace for micro consulting or whatever, and this is how it works. She's like, "Oh, well, what do you do for merchant accounts?" And I said, "Well, I think we're going to do this, you know, use a service." And she said, "Well, you know, why don't you know? I can have you know Claudia, who's an expert and who's our merchant account person, and she can call you." And so I ended up talking to her a couple of days later, and um, it sounds like I, I, well, first thing I said, I said, I've, "I've heard nightmares stories about merchant accounts that it takes like months to set up, and then you, you often you don't get." Um, you don't get your your application gets denied, and she's like, "Oh no, she's like, you already have a business account with us. You've been doing business with us. She's like, I don't, I don't, that won't be, that won't be a problem. You'll get approved." And hmm. so I had a preliminary conversation with her about what our business is and what we think our um our revenue levels are going to be and what would be the average transaction size and things like that. So we're gonna have a follow up conversation next week where she's gonna um you know, get more detailed information from me. And at least we'll get like a um, sort of a, um, a proposal from them of like what kind of rates they can offer us. Now, do they do they offer
1: us just the merchant account or do they also offer us an API?
0: Yeah, so now I don't know a whole lot about that, but once you have a merchant account, I think you can use things like Braintree and Samurai and these things that are sort of like payment processing gateways that work with a merchant account. Right. So... You have you end up having more flexibility. Now I don't know. I think there are, are trade-offs or other things you might have to do. But the trickiest part is just getting a merchant account set up. Once you have that, then you can. Um, there are there are solutions that there are solutions that will ride on top of of your merchant account that are really nice, like uh, Braintree. But is it then cheaper for us with a merchant
1: account, or because I mean the the other guys are just charging us the, as far as I'm aware. Pretty cheap. I mean, it's two point nine percent with. Is it two point nine? I thought it was two
0: point five. Is it two point nine percent for Stripe?
1: I think it's two point nine. Yeah, two point nine per transaction, and then thirty five cents. I think.
0: Yeah. So I figured, you know, I could at least have the conversations with her, talk about, get a proposal, get a good sense of like what it would entail, and we can sort of as we're we can go ahead and set up the Stripe account and the Webmaster Checks accounts and. And then we could sort of try and compare apples to apples and say, okay, well, what what are we getting from Stripe and uh, Webmaster Checks, and, and what would we get if we went with, uh, say, Braintree or something on top of our merchant account? I mean, would would we have more flexibility? Would we have lower fees? What what could we do? I mean, it may it may yeah. make no difference one way or the other. Maybe maybe it'd be obvious. Maybe Stripe will just be easier. I, I don't. I just don't know enough about it. So I figured it'd probably be good to try and find out about it since I have the opportunity to. And it seems to be sort of painless.
1: Yeah, I'm good. I'm glad you did that. I'm glad you did that.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. I mean, it's like, I didn't really thought about it, but just having like a, someone at the bank who you know and knows you and you have some sort of relationship with, and then you could just call them up or just stop in and talk to them for a while and say, this is what I'm trying to do. Can you help me out? And they can just kind of make it happen. That's really nice. (laughs) Um, you know, because when we're just sitting out here on our own, we're like, oh, you know, Wells Fargo or whatever bank is just this big institution. You don't really know what you can do or how it's done or how to navigate it. And it just seems to sort of like it's going to be this frustrating, intimidating process. It's just so nice when you have someone you can talk to. So that was sort of um, a relief that uh, that whole, everything like that just fell into place.
1: OK, cool. So that's the that's the any food bank account set up and pretty much the any segment of the show uh maybe we should move on to some hacking news links and i know we we said we were I going have, to do that i hack have i have actually a bunch before. of
0: few, a few things to talk about um, okay good if you, go before on. we jump into random things if you if you want i mean no please do um, yeah yeah so um let's see one thing that was interesting so like i said I've, I've been working with uber a lot lately and um, you know they raised uh, i think they just got a pre-money valuation of 300 million dollars did you hear that or read
1: that anywhere <laughs> well you told me
0: they raised something like 33 or 39 million from like Goldman Sachs and Jeff Bezos ventures and I think Yuri Milner and some other yeah big big groups um and uh yeah so they've been growing like every What's the thing is like every week is the best week ever <laughs> remember in the movie Office space where he's like, every day is the worst day of his life. (laughs) Right. This is like the reverse. Like every day or every week is bigger than the week before. And since that, not just that they make more revenue, but there's more rides, which means there's more pressure on the infrastructure. I mean, it just keeps growing and growing. And we've been having to make changes to the infrastructure just to be able to keep up with it. And, you know, as our listeners who've been around know, I, I built the the um the dispatch server which is sort of the brain of the system on Node.js. Mm-hmm. and um even that has been under a little pressure when it when it was you know recently just using like one or 2% uh cpu and one of the things we changed which just really didn't ha- which really didn't have anything to do with the cpu usage but was we were storing a lot of our uh temporary state like of our drivers and clients Clients and and, uh, and trips objects, we um we're storing that all in Mongo so that if the dis- if one of the dispatch servers went down, another dispatch server could pop up and reinstantiate itself by getting all the data out of Mongo. Yeah, because and you wanted something that and we, we one reason we use Mongo is because you could write to it so quickly, um, you know had high write throughput I guess so that every single time there's any change in state to any of those objects. The, the state was updated, right?
1: So everything else is in basically JavaScript memory, is that right?
0: Yes, everything, yeah, so so these are persistent programs. The dispatch server is a program that's running, and all of the clients and drivers and trips that are active, that haven't been gar- that we haven't garbage collected, we'll garbage collect something, so if a client goes inactive for a couple minutes, then we'll just garbage collect them, and then if they log in later, we just, you know, do a query to, through the API, which ultimately hits MySQL and pulls the data in, and then we instantiate an object. But um, everything else stays in memory, so so every second, I guess what they're doing so these, these mobile phones are hitting the um this dispatch server sometimes multiple times a second, updating you on their like their locate, and their GPS location and and um you know how fast they are moving and their state and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of heat put on the server and you wouldn't want every single one of these requests to come in and hit hit the database or or anything like that. And it makes that, makes everything work really well. But what we did is we just made a switch to Redis from Mongo for that kind of stuff. Did now, Are yeah. you familiar with Redis? i not not too familiar. Go through it. Okay. So that would be a
1: no. <laughs> well, I I, I, know, I know that it's basically a key a, it's basically a key value store, and it's it's mainly in memory versus um, on disk. That's what I know about it.
0: That's right, that's right. So Redis is like, it's almost like if you had a hash that, that was sitting in memory, that's a, it's a hash or key value store that's in memory that can be shared across by multiple processes or multiple machines. Um, and it can grow as big as, basically, your available RAM. Um, so that, that has worked out really well because that's, I guess we were, having, we were having a problem where we were writing so much that even Mongo was starting to choke. Right. So we moved everything over to Redis, and it turned out to like work great for that. And we only use Mongo now for storing what we call our, GP, our GPS logs, um, which are long-term storage. Right? It's not short-term temporary state, and those can grow to really large in size because you're you're storing those forever. So we can do different types of analytics for trip, you know, ETA prediction, that kind of stuff.
1: So what happens if everything? What happens if everything falls over and Redis falls over now?
0: Now, if Redis falls over, um, now I think, now I don't know a whole lot about this aspect of it. Um, Curtis was dealing more with this. I think Redis has some kind of, it saves its state to a certain degree, but if it does, if Redis falls over, which we are running on its own machine and, and everything, and you have replica sets and all this stuff, so you have multiple you know, sort of versions of it running. And if all of that went down, yeah, you would, you would lose some temporary state. There would, there might be a little hiccup there. Redis itself has
1: like multiple versions that, it, that it's using. So if one, if one Redis falls over another one.
0: Yeah. They, they, they kind of have they call it replica sets. I think in right, Mongo, okay. they're called replica sets. I think the same thing called the same thing in Redis. Yeah.
1: Hmm.
0: Cool. So, um, that was, that was pretty, that was, um, that was pretty cool. Um, so what was the thing I wanted to say? Um, oh, you know what's really interesting? When I was up there last I, I was talking to Travis and I said, you know, I asked him I so said, when was the when did you know that Uber was gonna work? Um, and he said, you know, he's like it was it was sometime in the second month. I think I think I got the impression it was like end of the second month, so maybe two months in. He's like we had a day where we had thirty rides in a single day. And that's when I that's when I thought, oh wow, maybe this will actually work. And I said, well, what was it like during the first month? And he's like, oh, nothing. <laughs> nobody was using it. And I said, well, how did you, what did you do with marketing?" And he's like, we didn't. We just kind of told our friends and stuff. And it's like, but nobody was using it. And he's like, right. but they believed in it. They thought it was a cool idea. And so they just kept working on it. Um, but I just thought that was kind of funny because, you know, you look at Uber now and it's growing, it's been growing like 35% a month, month over month for the past year or so. And yeah. It's a three hundred million dollar valuation. I mean, the thing is gone as a rocket ship. Um but when you looked at the first month, it was a joke. there was nothing. It was crickets. Right? <laughs> and I think so many times at Startups you think, oh well, you know, you launch it and it's like a month or two goes by and there's still nobody really using it, and you get really depressed and you think, Oh, this sucks. It's like, you know, even the one, even the services that work when they first launch, it's it's pretty much crickets there too.
1: Yeah, that's 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 born also of if you look at the stats of YouTube or Twitter or whatever like it's it's the same thing like the it's totally flatlining for the first i don't know 3 months i mean it sounds like Uber picked up even faster than those other services to be honest
0: it may have you know i mean it, it's it's I, I don't know exactly what the analytics were for the first you know, a few months or whatever, but just because they had one day where they had 30 trips, it didn't mean that it was like every day. It would have been like a big Saturday night and maybe the next day went to like 10 trips. But I mean, that's that, just, that's 30 trips for the entire day for, for all of San Francisco It's only doing one city for the entire city. Yeah. I mean, that's not much, right? I mean, that's kind of like, it's, that's, I mean, and, and, and two or three of them might've been just uh, Travis and maybe one's co-founders, <laughs> you know, <laughs> maybe you took it over to work over home, you know? I guess it's also different um,
1: ramping up something that's totally a paid service versus, you know, something like YouTube or Twitter, it's like you, not really comparable. So, yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds very good and cool that they managed to go go so ballistic as they've gone now.
0: Yeah, you know, and I, I, I just thought it was sort of um, I think it's this kind of thing that as an entrepreneur, you have to keep in the back. You have to remember that that it's going to take time that's a marathon and if it's something you believe in that you should stick with it if you think there's real value there um then you, you keep pushing on it and you really give it a good shot because I, I, I the one thing about this whole lean startup methodology is i think you know people talk about just iterating and invalidating ideas and stuff but i think it would be easy to to sort of err on the other side where you don't give anything a chance you know i talked to three people they don't like it so the data the, the the ideas invalidate i'm moving on you know yeah, Where I worked on it for a month and nobody said, so it's invalidated. I'm moving on. I'm trying, I'm pivoting, I'm doing something different. I'm like, okay, well, you know, um, I think a lot of times if you're, if you have what you truly believe is a good idea, if it's something that you would use, you, you, it just makes sense that sometimes you have to stay on it a little longer than, than, um, I don't know that some, than some, some of these sort of agile methodologies might lead you to think you should stay on it. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you, could, you can err on either side, right? I mean, you can stay on stuff too long, or you can uh, you can give up too quickly. But I just, I don't know. Um, I just thought that was it, and a really interesting data point um, that he gave me um, about about Uber's very beginnings. Nice. Oh, another thing I would say: they've never done any. Um, they don't do any marketing. I mean, they don't pay pay. Ad, they don't do ads. They don't really do anything. Um, that's and I asked. That's them, huge. That's a, yeah they don't really do anything and because it doesn't really work marketing doesn't work so well and he he was giving some reasoning for, for why certain types of ads don't really work for them and but it turns out that um it's the kind of thing that just works word of mouth really well
1: imagine going in and pitching that idea right basically saying look you know we don't have we don't have any marketing word of mouth is going to work on this and like any investor or vc is going to go that's never going to work you know that's what everyone says but this time it really did work. Yeah,
0: Yeah, well, that's why I don't think, you know, conventional wisdom and listening to what everybody says and best practices is kind of like, you know, bullshit. That's why I don't really care about that stuff because people just pattern match and most people are sheep and they don't really think at the base principles of what they're trying to do and where the real value's at. They just try and do what everybody else is doing. That's why you have everybody creating copycat companies and Me Too ideas, everybody's social, local, mobile, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I mean, I I just think you got to like, try and solve a problem that you think is really worth solving and hopefully it's something that you understand or might solve your problem so, it, you know, at least you have some insight into it. You understand why it right. would work. And if you get a few other people to say, yeah, man, this is cool, we will pay for it too, then, you know, it's enough. That can be enough to, to say, okay, this can sustain us for a while to, like, build it out. Um, I mean, I'm sure plenty of people disagree with me on that and there's all these methodologies and all this stuff for why you do things a different way, but I don't know. I I tend to think that when uh, you know, when all you do is apply best practices and conventional wisdom to things like business ideas and startups, then you're just doing what everybody else is doing. In which case, you got, it's hard to differentiate yourselves, right? Everybody's doing the same thing, right? You know, it's kind of like a red ocean strategy. It's like everybody's doing that. If everybody's doing that, then you know why? You know, how are you going to give yourself yeah. any real chance? Yeah. Sometimes I think it's good to be a contrarian in a way and just say, you know, this idea is going to work, and here's why. And, uh, I believe it and I'm going to push on it. And that's what they did. He said, you know, nobody used a service and, but they believed in the idea. And so they kept working on it and they put their own money into it. They put 200,000 of their own money into it. Uh, Travis and uh, Garrett is the, uh, the co-founder. Cool. So anyway, that's enough on that, but, uh,
1: that would be worth talking about. Cool. So did you, was there any, you said you had a couple of other things that you wanted to bring up?
0: Sure. Did, um, did you see that thing about Louis CK? So, um, yeah, that
1: was something that I wanted to bring up as well. Yeah, I thought okay, that was really, really interesting. Um, well, so Lewis C.K. self-produces, self-publishes content on his own, on his web page. And basically he created his own um, video. So this, uh, the, all of the stand-up content on this video was stuff that had never been aired anywhere else before. So he decided, right, I'm going to completely self-publish. And rather than go with a big publisher who sell my video for 20 bucks a pop, I'm going to self publish it and sell it directly through my website and set it for $5 a pop. So his experiment worked out pretty well for him. He ended up um, earning over 500,000 revenue in four days. And um, yeah, it's just very interesting.
0: Yeah, so a couple things about that. Um, you know, he, I guess he said that the ticket sales to the, uh, the stand up shows, because I, I think he took the material from more than one stand up show, but I'm not sure but yeah so Liam, he's bootstrapping with using the ticket sales to bootstrap the creation of the video yeah so that 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 paid for the recording of the show um get paying for the you know the guys with the cameras and stuff like that and getting yeah. in, in the audio and, and everything and i guess for his own you know accommodations and travel and everything like that but it didn't it didn't pay for the post production so he had to put some of some of his own money into, into the post production, to the editing and everything, and um, and his hope was that selling selling the DVDs would would allow him to at least recoup that cost, which obviously five hundred thousand dollars is four days. So if it took him, if it took, if it cost five hundred thousand dollars to the to do the post production on that, then he's he's overpaying by an order of magnitude. or No, he's, or more. he's
1: definitely <laughs> made his money back. Yeah,
0: yeah. So he's he's done. So, and I think a couple things that I was reading about that about why it probably worked. Um, I mean, first of all, he was very uh, sort of authentic and genuine. I mean, it was very much his personality on the website and then the email and everything like that. It wasn't, it was not very corporate. And so you got a sense that I'm actually buying this DVD from this guy, right? It's not some distribution company or something. I mean, this is his money. So I I actually paid for it. I haven't watched it yet, but I actually paid for it. I'm like five bucks. I'll buy it. You know, (laughs) I haven't watched it yet. I just have a download link in my inbox, but I've seen some stuff of his before that I thought was hilarious. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll pay for it. But part of me just wanted to be part of the story, you know? Yeah. I wanted to support it. I thought it was cool. And I thought, you know, I'll probably watch this. I mean, in some sense, you're like, ah, you know, this is just like paying for $5 for something that I might be able to see on HBO or something like that or, or somewhere on uh, in, in Netflix. But, you know, $5. I mean, what's $5? It's nothing. No, it's it's a reflex. Um buy and so, you know, I it's like buying a a magazine or at the airport, you know? <laughs> in, in many
1: ways it's like he's being a street busker, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: how a street busker works? Like you'll see a comedian on the side of the street and they'll they'll bring a crowd and they'll create the crowd and and then they'll say, Okay, now this is what I do for a living, so please do donate generously.
0: Yeah, um I would uh it is kind of like that, and but it's just it's 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 it was really cool because it was it was him it was it was it was just about his production of it he did it I think people bought into the story the people you know like me wanted to be kind of part support him because you kind of you liked his you liked his stuff and you kind of wanted to be part of the story, and you'd feel like you were kind of stealing from him and uh I thought that was cool i I think that's and I don't know if everybody can do that i mean it's like radiohead people who have an audience of of um of, of real supporters can, can have much better chance of pulling something off. But I think it is a lesson that you can do it, but you just got to be kind of authentic about it and speak in a in a, in a, in a, in a sort of a genuine, honest voice. And, you know, know that some people, you know, aren't going to respect that or still be just going to steal or whatever, take it and not pay you. And you just think, like, okay, well, you know, hopefully it will be at least enough honest people here that, that it'll, uh, that it'll work. And it looks like it worked, which is, which is, which is cool.
1: Oh, well, you will, because that's a big point. I guess we haven't we, we haven't mentioned that point, which is it, it w- there's no DRM whatsoever. You know, you download this thing right. and then you get it. You kind of share it, and that was the big part of his experiment was the fact that it had no, no DRM.
0: Yeah, people were loading it up and and, and torrent networks and stuff, and you know, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, there's going to be some people going to do that anyway, and, and they're like people like oh well, some people can't afford it. And I'm like, if you can't afford, I mean, give me a break you know if you're if you're on the web you can afford 5 bucks i don't care if you're in high school <laughs> you know i mean everybody can afford, can afford 5 bucks you know it's like nothing
1: right one of the comments one of the comments that uh, was on hacker news about this which i which i thought was kind of good was he's going to be surprised by the fact that this is actually going to have like a 3 year long tail like people are going to still be buying this thing in 3 years they're still going to be googling this experiment mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah he will probably, He'll probably make a make
0: Probably make a few million off it, maybe or a couple million. That would be really do. cool. Yeah. I hope he does. I mean, yeah. You know, speaking of like five bucks or whatever, this is sort of not kind of a, just a funny little story. So last night I'm at the uh, at the gym with the kids, and I'm um, I'm checking them out of the. Uh, they have like a daycare center built into the gym, a really big nice daycare center. Yeah. And so I'm getting ready to sign them out, and this and the one of the the guys that works the front desk walks in with. Um, a, a mom who who had just brought her kid and wanted to check her kid in, but they had just raised the rates from three dollars to four dollars to be able because you can check your kid in and pay four dollars, I guess now, and okay. and she's like, and he's like, you know, she only has three dollars with her. Um, can we still check her in? And you know, because the rate she didn't know the rate just got raised today to four dollars, and the um, and the uh, the the lady at the front at the kids club. You know, who was working the kids club? She was brand new. That was the first time I think she had ever worked there, and so she didn't really right. know what to say. And the and the and the mom didn't really know what to say. She's like, oh she's like, well, I guess I could go home or get some or go, you know. And then the uh, and the guy at the front desk is just kind of like there. I'm like, dude, I'll pay for it. Here you go. You know, it's like it is a book. Like, What's that? I was like, wow, that's so nice. I'm like, it's a dollar. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, you know, it's not like I handed her a hundred dollars, you know, I was like, uh, sure. I mean, it's like here, here, you know, it's so funny that, you know, a dollar made such a big deal, but everybody was, it was like, it was, it was like a, a standoff. Like everybody just stood in there just like they didn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm like, can I just solve this problem?
1: Just Yeah. Just, just solve this problem and get, move the day forward.
0: Yeah. You Let's know, move the day forward for everybody. You know, I mean, it's a, I mean. Good grief. It was just so funny. It was like it was like a Christmas special or something like that. I had just bought, you know, a turkey dinner for some starving family by offering a dollar. It was just so funny. Um, I mean, you know, because what annoyance. Like you get up, and you go to the gym. It's, you know, it's kind of late. She can tell us you're trying to sneak a last minute workout in there. Your kid's with you. And now you're like, now you got to go home.
1: Something that I saw that I thought was kind of cool. Um, I don't have like a, a big piece to say about it, but I just thought it was just damn cool. Was the trillion frame per second video? So, um, just some scientists have basically created a system that can capture uh, light traveling in slow motion, and their their camera goes up to a trillion frames per second. That's amazing. And it's just amazing to see light as it as it gets cast over different things on different surfaces. And um, it's it's it kind of a t-
0: trillion frames a second. I mean, because yeah. like a normal video is thirty frames per second. Like film is twenty four video's 30 and i you know i guess these like these high speed cameras like i mean you, like you know you'll see the ones that will that will capture like a uh, hummingbird flapping its wings yeah. i mean those yeah. are like what a thousand frames per second or something and you're talking a trillion that's unbelievable
1: so it, it, but it's it's not like using a traditional camera they have a they have a kind of weird and interesting system where it's just kind of letting one photon through at a time and they're using a camera to that sorry they're using a mirror to basically the 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 single photon hole they're using a mirror to gra- to go over the whole thing it, like it's so fast that basically in fact a good way a good analogy is you know the way that a picture is drawn on a TV screen like it's just right. one dot of light moving across mhm yeah they they're kind of doing mm-hmm. that in reverse to kind of suck in the information
0: that's pretty cool um speaking of that i just saw speaking of light i just saw Something today, I was talking about how the, the has there been a breakthrough in solar where this company called Semprius achieves a forty one percent efficiency. So it's like I think i like almost doubled the efficiency wow. of solar panels, something like that. And is that
1: expensive to make or is that uh, cheap to make?
0: You know, I don't. They didn't talk too much about the expense of it. I mean, I think it. Um, it just you know, double. I mean, they they it, this company received some funding from the government, some stimulus funding, and they also um uh, received, you know, some grants from the department of energy and things like that. And I don't know, it looks really impressive. I mean, that's massive 41% efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's getting better. So it's, I mean, all the, the, what really comes down to is like, what's the total cost of ownership and everything. And and it's efficiency compared to like coal, you know, that's, that's, yeah. that's how we manufacture electricity. um, And that's the primary. I mean, some of you have natural gas and nuclear and stuff, but really it's the, whatever the cost of coal is, that's really what your, your benchmark is that you want to beat. If you can get significantly as cheaper or probably actually, you probably want to be significantly cheaper because otherwise you're dealing with like, you know, existing investment investment, you know? So if it's like, well, it's comparable, but we've already have all these big coal factories up that we've spent all this money on. right? But if you get, if you get uh solar to be where, where it's much more cheaper, well, first of all, if it's at least as cheap or a little cheaper, then you're probably going to want to, you know, pay for solar plants and not for coal going forward. I mean, cause nobody wants to lose money. I mean, the people who are investing in coal are doing it because it's uh it's a, you know, financially successful model. Right. Not because they want to pollute. They're just like, well, we need the energy and we can make money at this and then we'll do it. Whatever, whatever makes us money. Right. Um, but if you make it so that it's like significantly cheaper than coal, then you're going to start like saying, "Okay, well, we can build this plant and be running way cheaper than coal." So then you probably start shutting down coal factories because it will, won't make financial sense to keep running. But I'm not sure. There's so there's some number there. Like it has to be X percent cheaper than coal to start to say, "Okay, we it is it is cheaper to build a new plant in solar than it is to keep this thing running for the next you know 10 years."
1: Did you see um, on? episode 160 um in the comments a guy called um Axio AXURE left a comment now mm-hmm. i know that Aksure is from poland and his comment was i want a new episode i did see that what do you think what do you think of that kind of uh, comment
0: i you mean, you mean he's did he think that that uh, the other show didn't count or 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 what no i'm just well, thinking it's thoughts? like
1: it's it, i i was wondering if you thought that maybe it was a tiny bit like Brusque and and maybe like I want a new episode.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's what you want. You want your you want your listeners to want another show. <laughs> if they don't right. want another show, you're doing something wrong, I guess. You know, I mean, I know that's the same way. It's like if there's podcasts I listen to or TV shows I watch, and you if if you're the if you're producing a, a show, you want people to be upset when you go off the air for a few weeks. You know, it's like when Fringe is off for like a month. You're like, damn it, you know, <laughs> I'm going to watch.
1: I was wondering whether Exeo was just being rude, so I decided to do a little bit of research on him and go back mm-hmm. and look through through uh, previous episodes mm-hmm. and see if he'd he'd made any other rude posts. Mm-hmm. But actually, he's just a really nice guy who's who's <laughs> commented on quite a lot of episodes over the over the time. Um, I think he's commented on about six or seven.
0: No, I think he's just saying, "Yeah, like well, you know, he's, he misses the show. He likes the show, right? I mean, that's that's all he's saying. That's the." Yeah, right. And on on episode
1: one five one, he says, "Gentlemen, I don't want to be rude, but it's the highest time that you post a new episode." <laughs>
0: <laughs> he probably has a long commute, or he has like a really painful like workout, and he's like, "I need something to listen to. Hurry up!" Yeah.
1: It. No, what's also interesting is just to see, you know, having a look back of the different stuff that he's commented on. You know, it it gives a nice idea of of who he is, and you know, he's he's um the guy from Poland i think that he is a a programmer and um just you know got some good stuff to say and made some good comments over the over the shows he joined us his first comment was on episode 127 so anyway i just wanted to say to xio um sorry <laughs> sorry that we haven't been putting the shows out as regularly and thanks a lot for being a a long-time listener
0: how, how many have we missed we've just missed one show right one week i mean i guess we missed a show and then the follow-up you did it with Alex and Peter
1: right we, we missed the show but also we're not kind of putting them out as regularly as we used to we're not doing the interview ones
0: yeah sure right yeah we haven't been doing the interview show so we used to do two a week I mean hopefully we can get back to that I'd like to start doing some interview shows again um, I mean when mm-hmm. you when you get back from uh, Europe which is what another couple weeks then um, but we can start yeah, it's actually another three weeks. Three weeks. Wow. So, you were telling me offline that you're kind of like sick of your vacation. You want to get back to sunny California. Are you still feeling that way?
1: <laughs> yeah, I am.
0: I mean, I obviously I love
1: hanging out with my friends and I love being on vacation, but there's also a huge part of me that wants to like get stuck back into work. Like this is this was too long, you know. I want to be working yeah. on anything. I want to be working on plug year.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Here's my one comment. Because uh, actually, I had a com- I had two comments on the show. <laughs> So my comments on the show, the first was you said that you're talking about the vacate, you know, how you were just wanting to make money so you could retire and all this stuff. But then you're realizing like retirement be, is kind of boring because essentially you're just going to get back doing some cool projects or something. Right. Yeah. Which is a conversation we've had because you would talk about that retirement and, you know, early and a number of our earlier shows. And I, I was always like, well, what, you know, what are you going to do? Right. I mean, retirement doing nothing is boring. I mean, it's it's right. you know, there's only so much sitting by the beach. I mean, you have this idea in your mind of sitting by the beach, reading a book, or I mean, I mean, I could do that for like an hour. <laughs> you know, it gets boring. Right. I mean, there's only so much of just sitting around doing nothing, or just. I mean, even if you're like you know involved in sort of leisure activities like surfing or or uh I don't know, what windboarding or what they call it, or scuba diving. I mean, that stuff's fun for, for a while. You're like, okay, unless you're like that's your true passion like you're a surfer or something then i think it's kind of boring after a while you kind of want to get back to doing stuff that really excites you yeah
1: yeah yes that's what i said on the show and i totally agree with you
0: (laughs) i'm pausing but yeah
1: (laughs) well that's that's what i said on the show i mean you've basically restated what i said on the show so yes. yeah
0: well i just want to make that i'm glad you finally come around to that you don't want to retire no really you, don't want, you might want to get in a situation where you don't have a lot of obligations to things that you're not really excited about, but you don't really want to retire. And so is, is it that you want me to say,
1: would, yes, you are right, Jason. You are 100% right about this. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm looking for that. I just think, uh, I just, you know, I thought it was funny that you, how you came around <laughs> to it, but you know, sometimes you just have to get the thing that you think you've been wishing for to realize that maybe that isn't what you wanted all along right you know is it like that's a theme of a lot please? you know yeah it's the other thing oh the other comment i had you you mentioned you were tr- you were trying to explain the auto resolution process that we had we had sort of envisioned for any food to peter oh, now yeah
1: yeah yeah. oh I, god i wish i could have been a fly on the wall to see your reaction to that
0: it was so funny i just started cracking up because you're like yeah yeah so we're gonna we're gonna have some su- system that's gonna auto resolve it what do you guys think <laughs> I'm like, uh, I mean, you didn't really explain anything to me. It's just we're gonna have this program that's gonna read your mind. What do you think? Guys are like, uh, I said, like, I don't know. I mean, can you make that work, right? I mean, what are they supposed to say? And I was like, Justin, we don't even because we haven't really thought it out that well. We have this vague idea of how we think it could work, but I'm, you know, I, I think I think some sort of auto resolution process will work you know some of the time where where we can basically hope to resolve it's kind of like there's um you know you call tech support and sometimes you get routed to a canned answer and that right. will take some of the pressure off your call support but it's not going to solve everybody's problems
1: right yeah so people are just very suspicious of that auto <laughs> any kind of auto arbitration or something like that
0: well i mean i think i think what you have to do is you have to say if we do something like that, we have to make it very simple and clear and see if people could come to some kind of an auto-resolution. If they don't agree to it, then it goes to something else, I guess. I mean, I don't really know. I, I mean, we have, we're we going to just think through it really carefully, put some parameters on it, and, and just do it as an experiment see what happens. Okay. I and mean, hopefully it won't happen that much because the reality is, well, I don't know. I mean, I guess what one thing we might want to suggest to experts and clients is that if it's the first time working with a client you may not want to work for a long time without submitting an invoice keep right. it short yeah you know yeah do a couple it, do two it three it hours I mean, chunks. don't work for 20
1: hours yeah agreed
0: yes small but so it's like you know the worst they'll say is like well actually it wasn't two and a half hours it was more like two hours okay can you know can people agree to that but if someone says, well, I, I work for 20 hours, and then the client say, well, it's more like 12, you might have a problem. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. Um, I explained that. I was actually, when I was talking to the merchant account expert over at Wells Fargo, um, and, you know, when, when you set a merchant account, the bank is going to want to know a lot about your business and how it works and what kind of risk you're taking and, in effect, what kind of risk they're taking with you. For chargebacks and stuff, and I, I, I gave her a little bit of an outline of that concept of some sort of auto arbitration, right? And uh, she thought that was a good idea. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I didn't go too into detail about it, and and um, you know, maybe when we go when we do dig into it, there 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 are problems that we hadn't considered. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think you can attempt to automate things as long as there's a way to opt out of the automation if the automation doesn't solve the problem sufficiently or adequately. Yeah, I don't know. That's my thoughts on it. I mean, you know.
1: um, Did you have anything else that you wanted to bring up to wrap up the show?
0: Yeah, you know, you know the whole SOPA thing? Yeah. Have you been following that? I mean, I've only been following that to a degree. I haven't been, you know, reading a ton about it. I mean, the essence being that um you know as long as you ac- accuse somebody of copyright infringement the site that's posting it essentially has to take it down mm-hmm. and without i there's no like due process or anything like that is that that's right yeah i think Have so. you read anything more about it and then and then and then, and then you get blacklisting sites and things like that i mean um i don't know you know um i mean obviously that's really going to be problematic, I think. Um, but one thing I thought of, was like, if you want to stop that, I mean, they say, well, Google's really against it, and all these other big companies are against it. I'm like, well, then just buy off the the politicians just like the recording industry is, right? I mean, the recording industry, the motion picture industry, all these kind of... They're, the reason that they're getting this stuff through is because they're buying off the politicians, they're paying lobbyists, and they're donating money to the campaigns um, of these um, members of Congress. That's why... The members of Congress are doing their bidding. It's pretty simple. It's how our government works now. So if you want to combat it, you don't just sign an open letter and say, gee, this is really bad for the internet. You've got to, you know, hire some lobbyist firms and make some donations and say, Yeah, I understand these guys, you know, paid you some money, we're gonna pay you some money not to make it happen. <laughs> I mean, especially if they think their their uh, you know, their business models are in jeopardy, right?
1: yeah that's that is a, that's an interesting take on it um but i mean
0: but it's really I, silly it's like you know
1: i i guess because it's not so i often, mean they just had a thing
0: on nPR about that not long ago about how brazen the essentially the bribing is this bribing is just really done through you know campaign donations yeah that you know if you donate a certain amount then you get a a private audience or whatever and um and it's amazing how little money it was actually took to do that. I mean, a lot of these members of Congress and, and Senate, I mean, um, the it's not like, you know, these they're donating massive sums of money to a lot of them and they're still kind of getting what they want. And I'm like, the amount of money that Google and and Apple and I don't know, Microsoft or whatever companies are against it are using to buy up some of these, you know, insignificant little companies instead of instead of spending 100 million or 50 million on one of this, you know, just buy off Congress. You know, (laughs) just put up a, just, just just seriously, just, all right, we're going to donate all, we're going to hire, you know, we're going to retain three or three or five of the top lobbyist firms in all of these areas. And we're going to make big campaign donations to all of them. We're going to buy them off just like the pharmaceutical industry does. And the telecommunications industry does and the recording and motion picture industry and the uh, defense industry and everybody else. You you can see why with the motion picture industry, like it's so, it's such
1: a direct benefit, but this is like, a kind of once removed tangential benefit. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it seems like a lot of money to outlay. Yeah. Well then
0: don't bitch about it. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, then they they can't bitch about it. So don't, don't, don't say, don't, you know, have, they have like what Google has, like, I think it's a 43 billion in reserves in cash and securities. Right. And all they can do is sign an open letter to fight against it. That's all they can do.
1: Well, you don't know what they're doing. I mean, they may be, they may be doing lobbyists as well. You, You just don't know. They wouldn't they wouldn't yeah, it. I
0: actually saw something on that recently, and it was like the tech industry ha- has like minuscule um, money in politics compared to all these other industries. It was like ten percent. Uh, I can't remember what industry they compared it to. It was like it was paltry, you know. And if Google by themselves just said, "Hey, we're going to throw our weight around and we're going to put money behind these uh, these issues that we believe in that have to do with you know protecting against censorship and and whatever else," I mean. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's once removed. I think, like, it could impact them quite a bit. And I think if they're as smart as they think they are, that they would be, you know, taking action to stop those things. And maybe, you, and maybe they don't like, and maybe the idea of buying off politicians, I'm sorry, donating to campaigns, you know, is distasteful or seems wrong. That's, our, our, our government, I mean, our Congress is corrupt. That's how it works. That's money talks in Washington. You know, and 50,000 hackers bitching about it on Hacker News or Reddit programming isn't going to do crap. So what is the latest
1: state with SOPA then? I mean, it sounds like you've read it quite recently. Like, are they making some headway with it?
0: Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, everything I've read, that that um, all of these amendments, the proposed amendments are getting shot down, and they're coming to, to another vote on the 21st. Um, a, a markup session, I guess is what they're calling where they're going to listen to, you know, some of the... Um, proposed amendments. But you know, I mean I, I mean I don't I haven't followed it that closely. Not like I watched it on C SPAN or something. Some people were watching and are you know or following the live Twitter feed of it. I wasn't that involved in and in, uh, following it. But um yeah it's gonna happen and I don't think um and, and all the the, pe- the representatives or I think um the Congress the Congress people who are on these committees um because I believe this is in the Senate, right? This this is SOPA's Senate, right? So I'm, it's I'm the senators sure around the committee. I can't remember. I'd have to check if it's Senate or Congress. I mean, that shows you how much I've been following it, but it might the, the point I'm trying to make make is works in either case. It's just, you know, I mean, I think these companies have to grow up in in terms of their perspective in Washington and play the game the way it's played in Washington and not how they think it should be played. You know, it's just not it's just not it's just going to be a big problem and they're and it's and, and the, the people who are against it in congress are against it because they've been, you know, they are representing the people who've done campaigns. Right? They've been bought off. Yeah. It's funny. I mean, if it's it's a weird, it's
1: a kind of evil way to do good.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but you have to, you know, it's like, you know, sometimes you have to pull out a sword, you know, to protect what's right, you know. I mean, I then don't, I don't know. I'm just, I just, I, it's just gonna be really kind of silly if this stuff passes. And then, all, and all, all, you know, Larry Page and Sergey Brin could do is write, is sign an open letter to Congress. I mean, give me a break. Sounds it's like ridiculous. a blog post. Embarrass. What? Sounds like a blog post. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. So the other one that kind of related to this that. Nobody's really talking about is the is the I guess the National Defense Authorization Authorization Act, the NDAA. Have you heard about that? No. So essentially, it's all coupled in with a you know that's a big bill that is a you know authorizing a bunch of different expenditures. But a part of it is that it's is it's going to allow for um, it's going to require that anyone who is a part of a terrorist organization or is associated with a terrorist uh, organization, or is has been, or has had um, any type of given any type of support to anyone associated with the organization, will be remanded to uh, military custody for for indefinite detention without due process. That could be anyone. That's right, and and that's that's including American citizens on American soil. This isn't some guy running around, you know, Afghanistan shooting at you know, NATO US troops or whatever. Right. So is this bill, just, and, you know, this is, I mean, you, and without, without due process, without a grand jury hearing, without any of that. Is that just quietly passing
1: through then without being?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of, um, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's like one more step, you know, we've had the things like the Patriot Act and the military commissions act in 2006 and these different things that, you know, really evil, uh, constitutionally destructive, Bills pass, and people at the time either didn't pay it, weren't paying attention to it, or like in two thousand, the Patriot Act, they just didn't understand it, and, and or and didn't know enough to raise a voice against it when you know went through Congress and it got passed, passed through almost unanimously, right? Mm-hmm. But um, this is just kind of like nobody's talking about. It. I mean, you know, I've, it's a little I've heard bits and pieces. I mean, the, and the Guardian had a big thing on it, Salon had some stuff on it, and I think the Washington Post did a little bit on it. But overall, people just aren't like not paying attention and they don't understand what an important thing is everybody's you know and but in hacker news everybody's worried about soap I'm like oh my god yeah. you know my video that has some the music that's copyright on it's going to get taken down you know meanwhile your brother who's in an occupy protest in seattle could be deemed a low-level terrorist and remanded to the, you know, guantanamo right I mean, what's worth caring more about?
1: It, it's funny because it sounds like um, some Adam Curry would probably say, "Well, that's the conspiracy, right? That you know they know that the soap is going to to have a bigger fuss, so they're trying to push that at the same time as the other one."
0: Yeah, I, yeah. So that I don't believe in that kind of thing. I mean, that's that's I don't. I I just think that I I think what happens is you see, see this kind of stuff. What happens is that it starts out and nobody's like, "Well, you know, I'm not part of Al Qaeda. What do I have to worry about?" Right. Right. You know, it's like, well... You know, there have been efforts to 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 to, to um um call people who are um, protesters low level terrorists, and what's called low level terrorism. There have been efforts so to like an Occupy Wall Street person, exactly, or people who are eco uh, protesters. They call them eco terrorists, right? And they're like, they're somehow equivalent to people who would blow up the World Trade Center. Okay, right? that's ridiculous. And somehow you make those associations and you just, it's like kind of this creeping effect of this is the power of gradualism. And like, you know, I'm not expecting anything to change overnight, but it's the kind of thing over the next 10 to 20 years, people get more and more used to it. It's like, oh, you know, a few more people, you know, here and a group there and these other people there. And then it just, it's just, it's like, all well, these things, they start out. And anytime people in power get access to legal infrastructure that they can use, they're going to use it to a full extent, extent. And at first, people think, "Oh, they're just applying it to people who are part of Al Qaeda." Well, that's where it starts. But then, you know, it's like a lot of these, uh, you know, those national security letters. You ever heard about those? No, I haven't. That no. The FBI has where they can. You've heard, i you've heard about them, where it's like they can say, you know, we want oh, yeah, all the yeah, records. yeah all, yeah And not only you have to give them to us, you you are not allowed to tell anybody about it. You're not allowed to fight it. You know, you know all this kind of stuff. Well, that was supposed to be only used for terrorism cases. And then then I can't can't remember what number was outrageous. It was like in 2007, 2008, there were like 1,500 national security letters sent out and like almost none of them having to do with terrorism. Mm. You know? Yeah. And that's how things like that happen. You know, it's like, you know, all of a sudden, you know, enforcement agencies whether Department of Homeland Security or the FBI or whoever whoever it is, Justice Department says, hey, you know, we have these laws in the books. We're going to use them to prosecute who we want because at the time, because we, You know, want to prosecute them. Right. Yeah. You're a terrorist. You're going to go to Guantanamo unless you do, you know, unless you do this or agree to this or whatever. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, I mean, I I know it sounds kind of like, it almost sounds like, well, like maybe I'm making a big deal out of something that is a big deal because essentially it's codifying kind of our behavior since 9-11 that they've been remanding people to places like Guantanamo for... You know, associations or, you know, or support for like sending a check to some Muslim charity organization that turns out that had some association with some terrorist group and so now this person sitting in Guantanamo, yeah. you know, for the last 10 years without any due process. I mean, it's just bad, bad news for a democracy. And I just, I don't know, I was just kind of thinking about this. Like the SOPA is really bad, but the, the NDAA is even worse, and, you know, orders of magnitude worse, but nobody's even paying attention to it. Worried about their, con, what their post on Facebook. You know? So, it would be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I I,
1: I don't have too much yeah, more no to, to say. say. Nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: I hate leaving a phone note.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and in other news... <laughs>
0: and in other news... the kids are happy. See, um, <laughs> what's that? The kids are happy? Yeah.
1: In other news, the kids are really happy. Yeah, the kids are happy.
0: Well you know i'll I'll end on this one note um okay, this isn't necessarily a happy note or anything like this, and uh, you know i I don't really like talking too much about it because it's just is just, just not a eh, nice thing to talk about, but you know my as you know I mentioned earlier in the show my my mom passed away last weekend right. and uh you know it's just there's there's nothing you can really say about it other than it's just it was absolutely awful and but I have to say the only thing about it the thing about it that was really interesting was the importance of having at the kids played and allowing me to get through it. Yeah. So we took Sandy at first was like my brother called me and he says, listen, you know, cause my brother lives on the East coast where my mom lives and, and he was at the hospital with her. And he's like, listen, I think you better, you know, get over here, catch the next flight out because I don't, it's not looking good. And, and she had been, there was no, it wasn't like she was anywhere near like, that state, right. It was just total shock, um, that this was happening. And so Sandy said to me, she's like, you know, do you want to, do you want to just fly out or you want me to go with you and, and and leave the kids here, whatever. And I said, you know, I just, me flying across the country for that is just going to be so grim. I think I need, I think I need you guys with me and having, you know, obviously having Sandy there and you can it would be easy to understand why having your, your wife with you would, be really important. But just bringing in the kids, you know, my kids are seven, five and three and a half. Yeah. And they're just so full of life and love and just, they're just, and, and, and just awe at the idea of being in a plane and flying and being in an airport and seeing their cousins. I mean, it was just for them, they didn't really understand what was going on. You know, was and we I wasn't making, going into great pains to explain it because, I, you know, it wasn't you could, they weren't going to understand anyway and you know, I didn't not was want to make them feel any kind of bad or any worse than they were going to feel. So, but I have to say it's like when, and everyone will go through this at some point when, uh, you know, when your parents pass away, it's just, it's interesting. I think you have to do is you have, one of the things you have to do is you really focus on the next generation. Yeah. And you focus on sort of the cycle of life, You focus on your kids, which for my mom, that's what she cared more about than anything else were her, our her grandkids that was it. And so I was like, well, that's what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus in on, you know, the kids. And I thought that was just a kind of a big eye opener. And well, they also was, they
1: also kind of keep you going. Right. So no matter what happens, you know, you've got to get up and you've got to give them breakfast and you've just got to do stuff with them. So it's,
0: yeah, you can't just lie there in bed staring at the ceiling. Yeah. Feeling awful. You can't just sit there you know, because if it was just me and my brother and you know, sitting there in the living his living room kind of, you know, glumily looking at each other, trying to you know, it was just But if um but you know the kids are running around. They're playing, they're daddy, Daddy, you know, my girl's jumping around, Daddy, I love you so much, give me a kiss. My brother my my you know Colby running up to me say, like, Dad, come on, you gotta play football with us and he's up with neighbor kids, neighborhood <laughs> kids, and my cut, co- his cousin are all you know, throwing the football around. He's like, daddy, could I come out and, you know, throw f- football with us? I mean, you, you're, you, they pull you into the moment, yeah. right? They pull you into life. Yeah. And uh, I just, I, you know, it was such a, it just, it was, uh, it was such a big deal. They just, they pull you into the moment. They pull you into life. And so, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. Well, that's I, a, I brought that up, but I thought no, it was. No, well, uh, because
1: I mentioned kids and, and that's a very, bittersweet way to end the show I I think that's a a fitting ending
0: yeah yeah. so that's it so on that note I think we're going to uh, I'm going to go spend some time with kids (laughs) I think we're going to go and uh, do some stuff so I guess that's a wrap we're out